Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. And so he said to them, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. That's John, just in case you're wondering. John said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter heard it, for it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, and he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it, and bread. I'm going to speak to you a little bit today. There's just something about the smell of charcoal. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful that you have blessed us with your presence. Lord, we've come to lift up you and worship you, and you've reciprocated by being in our midst. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would now let your word speak to each and every one that's gathered here. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't repented, you might need to do that at the moment. The human body is amazing. Your senses that we have, your sight and your taste and what you hear, it it operates, you know, the the body, I can't quite 100% figure out evolution because evolution says that chance happened and this incredible body that, that we have just by chance happened. But yet when you really study The way the human body works, computers haven't even reached the capability of the human mind. When you see, when you hear, when you touch, when you taste something, that sensory information that that you receive heads to your thalamus. It's a kind of like a relay station for the rest of your body. And all of those senses, what you see, hear, touch, and taste, it goes to your thalamus and that in turn relays it to the relevant brain areas. One is the hippocampus. The hippocampus of your brain is responsible for your memory. And then the uh, uh, amygdala is is what kind of processes your emotions. But, But what you smell is totally different. All the other senses go through the hippocampus, but when you smell something, it bypasses the thalamus and it goes straight to this place we call the smell center, it's the olfactory bulb. That olfactory bulb in your head is directly connected to the amygdala and the hippocampus. So what that means is when you smell something, it doesn't have to go through all the relay stations that what you see, what you hear, what you taste go through. And so when you smell something, it goes instantly to the emotional side and the memory side. Which is why smells can bring memories like nobody else. How many of you associate a smell, and hopefully it's a good smell, but how many of you associate a smell with your grandparents? I got a, I got a box, it's, it's, a, it's a, a crate, you know, a, a plastic crate with a lid, and inside of that are priceless quilts that my grandmother has made. I could go crack that right now because it's kind of airtight. I could go crack that right now, stick my nose in it, and instantly be back in their home. Because smells connect the memory and the emotions. 
There's probably smells. I, I don't know how to describe it, and maybe some of you that do, but there's a smell that, that connects me to my childhood because uh, we didn't have a lot of access to fish. I had subdivision ponds, and, and I wore them subdivision ponds out. But, you know, I didn't have a boat then, and we, we didn't go to a lot of big places to fish. And so if we wanted something other than a subdivision pond, Dad would load me and my brother up, and we'd go out to bush wildlife. It's amazing how as a kid everything seemed so much farther. We lived in Florissant, actually unincorporated Florissant, and I felt like it took three hours to get to Bush Wildlife. And it probably took a little bit longer because when I remember it, it was just a one-lane, two-lane road that wound through Harvester and all that, and there was nothing there hardly at all. Now it's in our backyard, and I thought it was counties away. But we would drive down Bush Wildlife in the summer, and there was something about, I don't know what it was, that I, I don't know if it was the goldenrod, I don't know what plant and the honeysuckle, but that combined with the dust of those roads, I could walk right now, smell that, that smell of that dusty honeysuckle and, 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 and goldenrod and instantly be connected to my childhood because smells do that. You, you, you smell one of them apple pies and there's probably a memory connected to it. There may even be bad smells. There, there may be things that, 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 you know, emotions you don't like, but it's there. And you find the story of Peter and the disciples, and they're, they're all gathered around, and Jesus has resurrected, and he's come back. He's met them a couple times. He's, he's talked to them, and uh, it all begins to play out. The account of, G, uh, of, of John, reading in the, in, the, in the book that John wrote, if John would have stopped it at the end of chapter 20, it would have been a perfect ending. You know, because it says things like this. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And you could put a period in there, and everything would be perfect. But instead, John writes another account that doesn't show up that often. It's a count where they're gathering there and Peter and some of the other people, they're kind of sitting there. They're a little bit lost. They're a little bit wandering, wondering how this is all going to play out. They, they know Jesus is back, but Jesus keeps telling them, I'm not going to be here very long. And so they're trying to process this. They've already lost Jesus once, and now Jesus said, I'm going to disappear again. And they're trying to figure it all out. And, and Peter does what he does best. He just kind of throws up his hands and he says, I'm going fishing. That's what I know. And so the others get on the boat, and these fishermen, and many of them were professional fishermen. They knew how to catch fish. It's what they did for a living before Jesus got a hold of them. And they get on the boat all night long. They catch nothing. And then some dude on the shore says, I ah, just cast your nets on the other side. And they do. And they, they can't even bring the nets in because of the fish. And Peter doesn't recognize it as Jesus. And John says, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter, impetuous as always, throws on his cloak. And he jumps into the, the, the water. And, and he swims and walks and runs and, and, and stumbles and falls. And he finds the presence of Jesus. And as he gets close, Jesus is there with a charcoal fire. Now, my, my family, they, they all think I've, I'm crazy because I'm, I'm turning into old man Buford. I have my chair. Don't sit in my chair. Ask Zoe, ask Zane, don't sit in my chair. I will physically pick you up and remove you from my chair. And my chair 
has a heater in front of it. And then it has a perfect view to the fireplace. And I've burnt more wood than I know what to do with right now. And so everybody else is burning up. But I'm good because I'm old man Buford in my chair, in my fireplace, sitting there. Fire has a unique smell. I love the smell of a, of a wood fire. Charcoal smells a little bit different. If you've ever been around a coal fire, a coal fire is totally different. But it has a smell. In my mind, as, as Peter gets to the shore, and the smell of that charcoal fire hits his nostrils, he stops. Because only two places in all of the Bible that I can find, in the, in the, in the languages that the Bible is written in, only two places is there ever mentioned a charcoal fire. One is here where Jesus cooks and, and, and has it ready. But the other one, I would invite you back just a couple chapters. I would invite you to John chapter 18 and verse number 18. It just so happens to read like this. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing there, warming themselves. Peter also with them, standing and warming himself. Now, if you've got your Bible, you could read verses I didn't read yet. But you'll find that the charcoal fire that Peter first encountered came with three denials and the crowing of a rooster. One of the Gospels says that when that third rooster crowed, or when that third crow of the rooster happened, that Peter realized it all, it, exactly what Jesus has said was going to happen. Now, he had denied Jesus. The Bible says he goes and he weeps bitterly. So in my mind, I, I get this understanding because it's happened in my life. Smells have, have stopped me in my tracks. They've reminded me of things. And in my mind, I see Peter getting off. He's all excited. He's going to see Jesus, the one he loved. And up to this point, as far as I know, now you have Jesus telling Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter, I'm coming. But as far as I can tell, I don't see too many conversations that Jesus and Peter had one-on-one -on -one up to now. And maybe, maybe Peter is kind of like some of my kids. Because mom and dad haven't talked about it, maybe they got away with it. You ever thought about that? You know, Peter knew what he did. He had broken himself and he, he had messed up, denied the Lord three times, but so far, there's not been anything. It's almost like Jesus is just ignoring it. And maybe in the back of Peter's mind, he's saying, well, maybe those three days in the tomb, Jesus has a little amnesia. He doesn't know what's going on. Everything's good. We haven't talked about it. And there's this kind of unspoken angst there. And Peter jumps off the boat. I mean, here's another miracle. It happened just like when Peter first met Jesus. Jesus called him and Helped him catch a lot of fish. And so Peter jumps off and he runs. And as he gets there, that charcoal fire hits him. And, and, and something clicks in the memory of him and in the, the emotions of him. And it connects him back a couple weeks to when he stood around another charcoal fire that smelled like that. And he denied vehemently, even cussing and cursing. I don't even know the dude. And he looks at Jesus and Peter probably thought Jesus did that on purpose. 
Those flood of smells came and that encounter with Jesus began to flood back all of those failures and all of those uh, memories. He, he began to remember things that weren't even associated with that. He began to remember how Jesus got on to them because Peter was part of those that said, oh, I'm probably the greatest of all these disciples. You know, I mean, if you really want to talk about it, when it comes to disciples, I mean, yeah, John is always the one that's hugging up on Jesus, but come on. I mean, I was up there on, the, you know, Jesus has always taken us three. We've got to be up there in the higher echelon of the disciples. Look at me, I'm something, and then Jesus thumps them down to size, and I'm sure Peter was thinking about that failure. Or, or what about when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter's response is, let's stay up here and build three temples and we'll just stay here until kingdom come. And the Lord had to thump him back down and bring him back down to reality and say, this isn't where we're staying. Or what about the whole monumental confession when Jesus uh, looks at Peter and said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then about one or two verses later, the Lord looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, because you're not following my plan. You've got a little bit too much self-preservation going on. All of these are flooding back to Peter's mind. And he, he or, or, or I'll die for you, Lord. See the sword right here? I'll kill them all. If anybody comes to take you, I'll kill them all. I'll do it all. I'll even cut their ear off if they come. No, Peter. Today you're going to deny me before the night is through. Before a rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. I'd never deny you. I'll go to the end of the earth for you. I'll do whatever, wherever you go, Lord, I'll follow. Wherever you are, I'll follow. I'll fight to the bitter end. And then, hey, wake up, Peter. Can you not watch with me for one hour while I pray? And then the, I don't know him. I never heard of him. Blankety, blankety, blank. I don't know what you're talking about. Blankety, blankety, blank. And the rooster crows. Maybe that's all what came through when Jesus built that charcoal fire and reminded him of that smell. See, there was something happening then. I'm sure there was some other conversation. The Bible doesn't, doesn't record a lot of it. But then the very first thing that Jesus looks at Peter. Now, now let, me, let me back up. With the day of social media and texts, and you can't look at people when they talk to you because, you know, you don't know if they're smiling. So now we have to put like LOL after our text or, you know, JK, just kidding. Because we, we, we judge everything on emotion and what you're saying and your body language. But you ever, you ever got in a conversation and you didn't really know where they were going and so you just took it a wrong, you know, they said something to you and you took it the wrong way and it messed up the ent entire con conversation? Huh? Yeah. I mean, it never happens in my wife and I's relationship. That, that has never occurred once. But I've heard it occur in other relationships where you say something and the spouse takes it a whole nother way and, you know, World War III opens up. Not in our relationship. Peter runs off the boat. He's so excited. He's sopping wet. He's, he's breathing hard from the 100-yard dash through the surf and the, and the water. And, of course, the smell hits him. And maybe he can kind of push that back because, honestly, they probably cook more stuff over charcoal than the two times we see in the Bible. I get that. And then 
the first words that I can kind of find that Peter and Jesus really have, Jesus goes, do you love me? Peter goes, seriously? That's where you're going to get? That's where you're going to start? What Peter heard was, seriously, Peter? You said you loved me. What Peter heard was, 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 Seriously, Peter, you said you'd go to the end of the earth for me. You couldn't even last one hour. You couldn't even, you, you couldn't even give me any credit there around that fire. That's what Peter heard. Because there's two things that happen in lives. There's guilt and there's shame. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I'm wrong. Let me put it like this. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And when Peter is accosted by the smell of a charcoal fire, and by the words of Jesus saying, do you love me? What Peter heard was, look at all my failures. I'm bad. I failed. I've come short of the glory. We understand the end of the story. That's not at all what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, I love you with all my heart. Then feed my sheep. What the Lord was saying, if you really love me, I trust you so much, Peter, that even with all of your mistakes and all of your failures and all of the things you've done wrong, I love you so much that I'm willing to put you into a place where you're going to have influence and access to other people who are broken and, and fragile. And that's how much I trust you. But I promise you at the moment, that's not what Peter felt. But something had to happen in that place. Something had to happen on the shores of that sea around a charcoal fire that reminded Peter of all of his failures. God wasn't going to let his failures slide by. And I'm here today to tell you as much as God loves you, God's not willing to let your failure slide by without a conversation. He's going to bring you to a place. It's happened many times around an altar. It's happened many times in the quiet of a car ride when nothing's happening. When all of a sudden the Lord puts in your path something that reminds you of the things you did wrong. The difference is he's not doing it to be ignorant. He's not doing it the way we treat others and just remind you of all of the failures. That's not what it is. But the, the Bible teaches and the Lord wants you and I to come to a place where we get face to face with our problem. Face to face with our failure. Face to face with our sin. But the difference is there's a God of grace and mercy that meets you at the moment of your remembrance of that failure. See, See, God didn't want Peter to do that all by himself in some dark alley. Otherwise, Peter might have given up like, like, like Judas gave up and hung himself. Jesus said, I'm going to get right to where you are. I'm going to get right up in your face. I'm going to get right up in your grill. I'm going to get every memory connected, and I'm going to get every emotion connected. And I want to see how you handle it when the God of mercy and grace confronts you with your failure. 
So then Peter goes on. See, sometimes we, we forget that to connect all the dots. Peter's not just in the book of Acts. Peter's not just in the gospel. Peter wrote two books. And so Peter gets his pen out later in his life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. In this you rejoice, though for now a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that if tested, the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Peter began to pin this verse, when Peter began to write these letters, he was writing to a people who were scattered. It says, to the dispersion of the saints. What that means is this is after all of the, the chaos in Jerusalem had happened and, and, and Stephen's been killed and martyred and so it, it separated the church and now you have these, these, these saints of God that are scattered and they're probably wondering, what did I do wrong? Where did I mess up? What happened to my life? How am I ever going to get through this? And Peter remembers back to a day that he trudged through the water and smelt a coal fire and had Jesus look at him and say, do you love me? And Peter now as saved and sanctified and coming through that trial is able to write, hey, there is a living hope that you might have. You don't have to live in your sin and trespasses any longer. You don't have to wallow in your despair. You don't have to live with that condemnation and that guilt and that shame. Yeah, you may have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but you are not bad for the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 for there is therefore now no more condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit Peter began to look and he said, it's not over. You're not hopeless. The smell of that charcoal fire doesn't need to remind you of your failures. But instead, I promise you, if, if, if Peter ever got around to charcoal fire later, there was a whole different smell. It was a smell where Jesus met him face to face and says, not only do I want to know, do you love me, but I trust you. Now the charcoal fire didn't remind him of his failure. It reminded him of his calling. Now the charcoal fire doesn't remind him of all the times he messed up, but it reminds him of the time when the one that died for his sin and was buried for his sin and when rose again for his sin looked him in the eye and said, I love you so much you can feed my sheep. I wonder if there was a charcoal fire on the day of Pentecost. I don't know. Maybe they had one burning in the hearth. Cook a little food perhaps. But when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, I promise you in his mind, he was thinking about that place where Jesus said, feed my sheep. Us, our, our humanity, we, we were talking, and so in our hyphen class today in Sunday school, we're in, we're in Proverbs chapter 28. One of the verses, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, one of the verses says, you know, if you, if you hide your sin... It's going to find you out at some point. 
But if you give that sin to God, he'll, he'll, he'll take care of it. And it hit us, this, this incredible hyphen group, because we, we have a lot of discussion and we let people build on it. And it hit, hit us. Why do you hide your sin? Because you feel shame. Why don't you want anybody to know about your sin? Because they'll know you've messed up. And so we hide our sin and we never confront it and we just let it, let it sit there. But, but when you repent of your sins and when you are baptized in Jesus' name, what does the blood of Jesus do? It covers it and it removes it. And so the result becomes the same but with a different bat outcome. The result of me repenting of my sin is that Jesus forgets my sin. He doesn't bring it up anymore. He washes it away. Now, if I wanted to hide my sin, that's what I'm wanting. I don't want Jesus to find out about my sin, and so I never confront it. I never talk about it, and, and so I'm, I'm trying to hide it. But in reality, when you give it to him, he hides it so far as the east is from the west. He throws it in the sea and then walks on top of the sea, that sea of forgetfulness, the Bible says. And so it is that I'm here today to tell you that in a life where you could go back and all of these thoughts and all of these uh, failures and sins, we're reminded of them daily. So one thing I've never understood, God forgets our sin, but I don't forget my sin. And every once in a while, something reminds me of that. But I'm reminded that I met Jesus at an altar. I've met him multiple times at an altar. I met him that first time when he filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost there at New Life in Bridgeton, somewhere kind of right about here in, the, in, in conjunction with the pulpit. I, I remember that day vividly when I repented of my sins and he filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I remember the cold waters into Quincy, Louisiana that my dad baptized me in in Jesus' name and, and, and my sins were washed away eight years old. I remember that. But I also remember some wrestlings as a young man and then a young adult and married and then with kids and maybe even some recently where me and Jesus have met face to face and Jesus had to bring up some things with me. Connect me back to some of my failures, some of my sins, some of my shortcomings. But he did it for this reason. Because a hidden sin won't do you any good. But a confessed sin. In the presence of God Almighty. Go back and read Psalms 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Go read that psalm and, and see if your prayers match that psalm at all. If not, you need to start praying that psalm if you've ever sinned and come short of the glory of God. Get back to that place where God can remind you of some things you did wrong. But then give you that living hope that says you don't have to stay in the despair of your sin. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. See, that's the sadness of, of Judas. Judas never got the chance. He never gave himself the chance to come into the presence of a holy God full of grace and mercy. Judas never got the chance to see that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that Peter wrote about. And Judas ended his life too soon. Because I promise you, there would have been another charcoal fire moment for Judas if Judas would have let it happen. 
And Jesus would have looked at Judas and he would have said, I forgive you. So today as we stand all across this building, yes, I preach to the sinner. I preach to the one today that's not experienced the love of Christ yet. You've not repented. You've not been filled with this spirit. You've not been baptized in Jesus' name. Yes, I speak to you today. But I also speak to the one that's experienced that Acts 2 salvation. You just have had a few rooster moments after that. And so I invite you to let the Lord bring those back to your mind. Bring those back to your memory. Not those unfor- or not, not those repented sins. That's not what he's going to bring back. If the Lord brings a sin to your memory, it's not going to be something you've repented of because if that's the case, then the Bible's wrong. If the Lord brings a sin to your mind, it's because you and him haven't talked about it yet. And so I preach to the saint today. Because not one of you are perfect. I've learned that after 14 years. None of us are perfect. We've all still got rough edges. We've all still got those rooster moments. And I just feel like today there's a charcoal fire waiting and a conversation with the God of living hope. If you take nothing out of what I preach, you take that out. He's a God of living hope. You don't have to stay dead in your sin and trespasses. You don't have to stay in your shame and your condemnation. You don't have to keep saying, I am bad. No, you can come into His presence and you and Him can talk and you can put your sin out on the table. Repent of your sin and then watch that cleansing blood of Jesus begin to wash it white as snow. And then you can hold your head up high and He's going to ask you, do you love me? And your answer is absolutely And he'll say, then I have a job for you. I've got to work for you. I'm not through with you yet. Father, your presence is all in this building right now. Lord, not the condemnation, but the conviction is sweeping. Condemnation says, I'm bad, I'm sinned, and there's nothing you can do about it. But conviction says, yes, you've sinned, but there's something that I can do about it. Jesus says, I can forgive you if you'll give me a chance. Lord, right now, for every person, from the front to the very back, from each side, I pray that you would begin to speak. Lord, if you're bringing something to their memory, then it's something that they've not brought to you. It's it's something that's unrepentant. It's, it's It's a charcoal moment that's bringing back to their minds. But Lord, I pray that you would let the love of Jesus, the living hope of Jesus, the grace and the mercy of Jesus begin to wash things white as snow. Lord, I'm opening these altars. I'm challenging someone to take a step out of where they are and come to this front. Lord, I'm going to do it myself because there's no one here that's immune to what this sermon preaches. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would meet us today, that living hope, and let that cleansing blood of Jesus begin to move. In Jesus' name, as they sing, would you come?